On this week's Devils in the Details, we've seen a lot of football this season. What are we learning from matches like this week's win over Bournemouth? A full squad rundown, where we see each of the players in the side next season and beyond. And to close it out, some transfer talk. New targets have emerged, which gives us the opportunity to chat a little bit more about them. Hey, Case. How's the week been? Pretty good, Aaron. Pretty good. Uh, How's your week been? It has been an interesting week. I'll say that because I had tonsillitis. Um, I don't know if you I don't know if you've ever had tonsillitis, but the antibiotics I got kind of knocked me out for a day. And then I woke up pretty much completely fine. And now I'm in Montreal for the weekend. Um, It's my mom's birthday. So I mean, my mom won't be listening to this, but happy birthday, mom. (laughs) Um. But yeah, so we're spending the weekend in Montreal, which is a great city um, to celebrate. So it's been good. Um, but we are not here to chat about Montreal, at least not until no details, if that's what people asked. But we're going to start with the United chat. So Bournemouth. Um, let's start with the Bournemouth game. Pretty much nobody asked about this match, which means we probably won't spend a ton of time on it in this episode. But was there anything here that was notably new to you, Case? No. <laughs> I, I thought this was pretty much run of the mill uh for you know the last two months of United season. Uh better team than Bournemouth, yes, clearly. Um had some really bad stretches, had some good stretches, had a ton of trouble creating clear chances. Yeah, I mean we, we can go through the same things we discussed last week, but I think for the most part the themes are the same. Uh, in terms of the issues. Yeah, I mean, we had an influx of new listeners, but I'll drill this down to a tweet, basically, um, in terms of how much I'll say about it. When United have the ball, struggle to break down defenses. A lot of it has more to do with the movement off the ball than the movement on the ball. United don't really create shots effectively. You saw Martial taking a lot of shots outside the box in this match. That's not really his role in this side. It's just a function of how he plays. Um, in general, in these matches, when United take a lead, they're they're relatively strong statistically at seeing them out, but there are some issues that I think prevent them from being imperious, like like Man City are, for example. I think, that, I think there was a lot of wastefulness in transition, too. Yeah, there was. So United are wasteful in transition. Um, United don't consistently build out of pressure, which means that other teams can have periods where they get into these games for a little bit. Um, in this case, I think Bournemouth were in it for quite a bit of it. Um, I- I'm not sure United are actually statistically wasteful in transition i think in this match they were but i think in general one of the most efficient sides in transition in the league no no sorry so statistically united are very good at closing out matches i think they have the lowest points dropped from winning positions this season again not not what i'm saying uh i'm no, saying I, I get, like okay okay you're just making a general point you weren't responding to me saying no okay no, okay, no. okay okay yeah united are statistically very good in transition i think i think Again, for new listeners, there's a distinction between United being very good at scoring goals in transition versus what we're talking about, which is managing the game in transition, um, taking transition states and making the right decisions that allow United to control the match. Um, for example, I think 
actually, I think the best example is United playing a lot of high-risk passes in transition situations when they're winning. Um, those types of decisions are associated with some of the best goals United have scored over the years. But in general, they often lead to losing the ball and inviting a lot more pressure on United when the real, um, when we believe the real correct decision in, in those situations is to keep the ball and try to, uh, try to be patient for a high, high probability, easy opportunity to create a chance in transition. Um, so a lot more possession, maybe slightly less chance creation, but in the aggregate, more control of the game. Um, when you're already winning and the priority is to not concede, although scoring is still important. Um, yeah, the other issue is the press, right? The forwards are really patchy in the press. It means that United can allow the other team to kind of play their way out of trouble. Um, when you see teams like City, Arsenal, in recent years, Liverpool, part of the reason why they crush teams in winning positions at times, not not consistently, but part of the reason why they do is because they're able to press those teams when they're in winning positions and basically prevent them from being able to do anything, reduce them to long kicks from the goalkeeper, um, which lead into 50-50s and duels where they're able to win the ball a lot, keep the ball a lot with good decisions. All of these things that I think are not massive individual actions that are going to make these changes, but just small things here and there that build up to make big differences in the way the team performs in the aggregate. Um, which is what I think we've discussed with United pretty much all of the season, the press, the building out, the transition decisions to control the game. Um, and also the striker movement to create chances that finish these games off. Yeah. I think those are the the big themes, right? Your ability to play, play through pressure. One, uh, your ability to manage matches in transition. And by that, I don't mean being efficient. I mean, knowing your midfielders, knowing when to, to speed up and slow down the game. And then, yeah, your efficiency in the final third. And I think a lot of that has to do with striker movement. Um, and, th- and that's really what I would, I would cook this, uh, you know, this, this inability to close out games down to. Uh, it would be those three things. Awesome. We had one question that was vaguely related to the game that I'm going to make about this game, which was from JM. Um, he says, was recently trolling through some stats and saw that United have the sixth highest shooting distance, and the main offenders are Casemiro, Bruno, and Eriksen, with a special mention for Anthony. Um, so, where's the question in there? <laughs> oh, I think I cut out the question. Um, let me find it. Yeah. Do you think this will fix itself with signing a box nine? Or will more be required? So, I'll talk a little bit about distance shooting first. So, distance shooting statistics means the average distance of every shot from the goal. United being the sixth highest means they shoot the sixth furthest from the goal in the league. Typically, good on teams... On average. On average, yeah. Typically, good teams shoot closer to goal. I think that's kind of intuitive. And so, this is a sign that United are taking a lot of suboptimal shots. Um, I don't necessarily think it's it always means a team is taking suboptimal shots because distance is not the only factor and shots are complicated, but I do think it's true. I do think United take a lot of suboptimal shots. It's something we haven't really talked about a lot since the start of the season because United haven't actually had that many games where they batter teams to the extent that they're taking a ton of shots. But in the last two weeks, United have put way over 40 shots between the two matches. Um, and a lot of them have been from distance, 
shots where there were opportunities to create better chances. This this has been a general trend in United's play for years. I think it's better this year than it has been in past years, but it's still definitely a problem, I would say. So Case, I guess the question for you here is, to what extent do you think that comes from not having a great striker who allows you to create chances closer to goal? And to what extent do you think this is actually decision-making from the players who are taking shots in situations where they shouldn't be? If you were to force me to break it down to percentages, I would say it's basically a 50-50 split. I think player to player, it depends. I think in Casemiro's case, it's it has very little to do with the absence of a striker. I think he just kind of likes to sh- take those shots. I think in Anthony's case, that's probably also true. I don't think a a better better box movement is going to make him take fewer of these shots. I'm not even, of all of these players, I'm not even convinced you want him taking fewer of these shots. I think for the most part, his are the highest value I'm gonna, of yeah. the four. So I'm going to explain that a little bit because I think there's a lot of talk about Anthony's decision-making, particularly shooting. And I do think there are times when he refuses an option to pass it um, and no he should pass it. But overall, the reason why I think we crack down less on Anthony for these shots is because... A, Anthony will look before shooting. So often when he shoots, I think it actually is the right decision to shoot. B, Anthony from a very specific zone of the pitch across his career is a very productive shooter. Um, so just outside the box on the right side. We've talked about this before, but again, for new listeners, Anthony is way above his XG in that specific zone with his left foot, um, finding the near post or far post. And so when Anthony shoots from those, it's likely that in the balance of his United career overall, he's likely to score way more than other players would shooting from the same zones. And so we're not as worried about that as we are with some other players, I think. I, I would add on to that. Pro- productive shooting from the right side is a lot rarer than productive shooting from the left side. Um, so it's not actually... Like, on the whole, if you take every Premier League team they produce less of their shot, their high quality shots from the right side of the pitch than the left side of the pitch. And to be clear, that's because most players are right-footed. Yep, exactly. Um, So having somebody who produces shots from the right side of the pitch when the ball is on the right side of the pitch, even if they're slightly lower quality shots, is actually naturally a value on its own. So yeah, for for that reason, I'm less interested in, in, in including Anthony in this conversation. But as for Bruno and Erickson... I think these are the guys where you could argue this that a, a new striker sort of changes the equation and, and maybe you reduce some of these poor shots. However, I don't think Bruno is ever going to completely cut these out of his game. I think he just has a misconception about his, his ability to convert on these chances <laughs> and uh, he's going to continue to take them. Uh, and, and that's really frustrating and I don't think that there's really any way you're going to get him to stop doing that. And... Yeah, unless you were on the coaching staff and you, the coaching staff, you know, unanimously agreed that this is something they wanted him to stop doing and that it was worth it to have this conversation with him, like, which I think is never going to happen. So, but also, kind of a moot point. I would also say, even if they are having the conversation with him, odds are he, he's a 28 year old professional footballer with multiple years of senior experience. Um, it's not that easy to change those habits, right? Like, you get into habits that you, I don't, I don't think, in many I think scenarios. it's easy to say I'm not going to shoot from 40 yards anymore. Like he's an adult. I, I like I get your point about habits, and I agree for the most part about habits. But I think this is a pretty easy habit to break in in the scheme of things that you do on the football pitch, footballing pitch. 
Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I still think it's one of those things that, you know, um, players just, like, I think it's, I think it's easier said than done when there are some long shots that Bruno should take and some that he should not take. Um, and I know there are some that are clearly bad, but I, I still think it's like you're, you're dissecting scenarios in real time really quickly. We have the benefit of going back and watching these and going, Bruno should have shot there or Bruno should not have shot there. And he does too. And he can learn from them, but I don't know. It's much harder for him than it is just to like tell him and it's fixed, I think. I agree, but I think 35-yard shots in transition are very obviously stupid yeah. and easy to cut yeah, out. Yeah. And I think those are the ones that we're talking about right now. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think we've covered this 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 issue. This is always just going to be a thing for this United side, even with better players, uh, because of who these players are. You've got three guys. I think you could include Rashford in this as well. You got five guys who who like to fling off distance shots, not necessarily when they should. I think Anthony and Rashford, I'm, I'm more okay with the shots they take. Um, whereas the midfield three, I think for the most part, it's, it's, it hurts this team. Yeah. Um, and, but that's just going to have to get over it. Cause I think that's, I don't think it's going anywhere. It drives me crazy. Don't get me wrong, but I do think it's on the smaller end of the scope of really big issues in this team. I think there are very good teams that have this problem. Um, I think like it was a big problem last year when every single time United got into the final third, players were just taking digs like from ridiculous and absurd angles. But I do think this United team, the way they play now have the capacity to create very good shots. Um, and that, and that's where I'll move it over to the number nine thing, right? Um, in isolation, even if United made the exact same decisions next season in, in many scenarios, um, with a different striker present, um, you're going to create more shots inside the box with a better striker, which is going to reduce the distance of your average shot to goal, um, we, even without making any other changes, right? So even so, even though I think I think people have this mindset of like having a better striker will improve the decision making of the players, which is to some extent true. Um, but it's also the case that having a better striker, even if it doesn't improve the decision-making of the players, is going to lead to more shots of a kind that United are looking for closer to the goal, which is going to reduce this average distance. So either which way you look at it, I, I think a striker makes a big difference here. It, I so think it's a unlikely. fun fact. Yeah, go on. What you said earlier about uh, distance from goal being related to... Average distance from goal for a, a team's shots being related to how good the side is, is true. However, there have been some really good sides that have had horrible shot distance averages in Premier League history. For instance, Tottenham finished second once with the the furthest average distance from goal on their shots of any team in the league. I'm not sure that's a model you want to follow. I'm not sure that is sustainable, but it's just something to keep in mind. This is more stylistic with some quality-based uh relationship as opposed to the other way around uh yeah. yeah it's also very i'd imagine there's quite a bit of variation in the actual like distribution of those shots so yep. it's not just going to be normally distributed around the average so in other words you're not going to have if your average is 18 yards it's not that you're necessarily going to have a ton of shots from 18 yards and then a little bit near the goal and then a little bit very far I bet some teams have a lot of shots really close to the goal, a lot of shots really far from the goal, and the average and is nothing in somewhere near the yeah. edge of the box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing is like some XG models, like understat and stuff, I think they have a massive jump in value 
of XG between like the 0.1 to 0.15 range and like 0.3 or higher range, they don't actually flag that many shots in between 0.15 and 0.3. I could be wrong about the exact specifications of those numbers, but that's a sign that, you know, teams try to create really good chances and often take really bad shots. Um, and, and that, in, that middle area is like an in-between. So, I mean, I haven't done any formal research on this, but I don't necessarily think this is a normally distributed thing of like, we're going to shift the entire nature of the team shots. I just think it means you're going to get more good shots. If you make better decisions, you get a better striker. That's going to reduce the average distance. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think let's move on from the Bournemouth match. I think that's enough conversation about it. Cool. Uh, um, honestly, at this point, do you want to take a quick break and then we'll do the feature of the squad? Sure. Awesome. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So last week we had a question that we thought was really good from Kashif. He said, too little prep time to do a keep, sell, extend on the squad. And I mean, I don't think it was too little prep time, but it was too much episode allocation in last week's to be able to, I think, do this properly. Yeah, we just we just didn't have, we had already planned out an episode. Uh, made it easier this week to be like, oh, well, let's do this. So... Yeah, let's run through this, the current United squad. We'll include loans, um, I think. Sure. And yeah, we'll just we'll just talk about where we see their futures. Sorry, do do we want to go by position and then do the loans towards the end? Or yeah, okay. I think so. Okay, so I can do that. So um, we'll start with the most controversial, but probably least surprising from our perspective, which is De Gea. Um, his contract is out next month. He still hasn't renewed. There are strong rumors suggesting that he will renew. Um, do you think De Gea, and then we'll throw in Tom Heaton and Jack Butland, who is on loan from Crystal Palace at the same time. Do you see any of these goalkeepers playing a key part in United's future? Um, and for how long, basically? What is I? You have to rephrase that question. Do I think they should or do, do I think they will? Because those are two different things. Both. Let's do let's do should and will. I feel like let's just do should. Okay. I, I, I like because because what what is will? Will is just us we're like recapping the news. I mean, okay, yeah, sure. So, um, Butlin's unlikely to rejoin. Heaton's in his mid thirties, and we both think De Gea should be replaced. So it's likely yeah. Heaton's probably the backup next season in our ideal world, and then someone else comes in to replace De Gea. And that's that. Yeah, that, that's what I would do. I mean, we've spoken about Zahaya ad nauseum on this podcast. He he cannot do the things that he needs to do. Uh, he's cost his team a lot this season. Uh, it's kind of hilarious that he's going to get the Golden Glove. Um, <laughs> given there's been matches where we've conceded four and six and seven. Um, yeah, I mean... that. It it is what it is. I think he probably will sign a new contract, but he he shouldn't. He shouldn't. It's bad that that he is. Um. Okay. Next position. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's a middling situation there where De Gea is a backup who never plays, who gets to stay because he's a legend. I don't really like that scenario because it just means you have a high high wage goalkeeper with a big reputation who's just sitting on the bench. Do you but, really think that would happen though? I, no, I, I don't think it's that realistic. I think it's something people have talked about. So, but yeah, if we're doing should and not will, then I think it's something I would be less. I would object less to than him staying as first choice. But I still just think it's time. It's a good time with him winning the Golden Glove, if anything, to just say, all right, you've had a great 10 years at the club. Thanks. It's time for us to move on, go in a new direction. Yep. Okay. Okay. Next position. Right back. Um, We had a question for this one, or a question that was related to this one, which was from Tasty Treats, hopefully, who asked... What do you think are the main drivers behind Wambasaka overtaking Dalo for the starting right back position? Dalo started the season well and appears to be a better technician in the first phase. And my answer to this is I agree. I think United should keep Dalo. I think United should look to sign a right back, and I don't think Wambasaka should play anymore. We've talked a lot about the reasons why. I don't agree with Ten Hag's decision to, at least it seems like, make Wambasaka the main starter. Um, there are definitely some outlying factors that we can't model here like Dalo had a fitness problem at some point in the middle of the season Dalo played at the World Cup there, there are some things there but overall I still think it it seems like Wambasaka is preferred at this point in time and I don't agree with that for reasons that we've talked about even as recently as last week yeah yeah I mean I think the obvious reasons are, are Dalo has struggled a lot defensively the second half of the season but and yeah I also think Wamasaka has been better in the box um getting into the box specifically I think his execution has been very poor inside the box once he's gotten the ball uh yeah ultimately I think I would break it down like this Dallow has general utility in most of the matches that United play um Wambasaka doesn't and there are some matches where he has massively outsized value uh, like, for instance, the League Cup final against Newcastle. Uh, but in, in an ideal world, United are never pinned like that. And I, I I would take it a step further. Not in an ideal world. The way it should be, and the way it can be, if United recruit the right players, is they never get pinned the way they got pinned for that extended period against Newcastle. And if you, if United never get pinned like that, they don't have need for Wamasaka's skill set. Because the things that he's bad at hurt them far more than the things that he's good at in most of their matches. Which is, that's that's like the essence of a sellable player. I think right? that's already like, the case, by the way. I don't. Even, I think United getting better makes him even less valuable. I completely agree. No, I completely agree. But I'm saying even the argument, oh, keep him for the few matches where he's highly va- valuable, is not a good argument because those matches should never happen. And that's that's actually what you're hoping to achieve, is getting to a point where you're never pinned like that. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this so, so much. Wamasaka should be sold this summer. And, and I don't even think his performances recently have been so good that it's like, oh, maybe there is something in there. I His technical level is not high enough. And, and it's not even an aesthetics thing. We had another question about aesthetics. There are some players who are not aesthetically pleasing to watch play, but are still effective. He is not one of those players. He's both both aesthetically not pleasing on the ball and not particularly effective. Um, he can beat players in the dribble sometimes, but ultimately his technical execution when passing is incredibly erratic, which doesn't work. 
top sides don't have those players and it, that is the bottom line so it, it, this is a sell for me yeah so i think the the player that was cited the players that were cited by the person who asked that question were Juan Bissaka and Maguire and both are examples of players who are ineffective i think Maguire two or three years ago is a great example of a player who was not very aesthetically pleasing but was quite effective on the ball um i don't think that's the case anymore but i just think that's a good frame of reference for like i think it's nice for players to be aesthetic sometimes i don't really think it matters in the grand scheme of things and i do think it's possible for a player to be not aesthetically pleasing but extremely effective um, yeah I, I'll, I'll say this though i think it's rare i think it's relatively for the most rare. part in, in if you're good on the ball it'll be aesthetically pleasing to watch there are exceptions but they're pretty rare yeah i think i think bruno's kind of an example of that actually um Somebody who's not particularly aesthetic, but is obviously incredibly valuable in possession. Yeah, I would say the anomalies exist more at center back or striker, but in general, it's rare. Yep. Okay, uh, so I think we've got Dallo as a keep and Wambasaka as a sell. Um, next season, next season, I wouldn't be... I think right back is probably fourth on the transfer list. So I wouldn't be surprised if you just end up keeping both of these guys next season. But long-term, I agree. Um, Ethan Laird's out on loan at Queens Park Rangers. I don't really think he's going to come into the first team from that. But it's worth noting. I think we I will get a right back this summer. Okay. I mean, yeah, if There's you're, you're going to get a right links. back, then Juan Bissaka is the one to go. Um, yeah, there have been pretty strong links. Frimpong, for example, people were saying, not even people. There were pretty strong reports coming out of Germany that that deal was close to done a few weeks ago. So I don't know how reliable that was, but I, I, I think there will be a right back coming in the summer. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough time on the right backs. Um, Center back. I'm going to fire through them really quickly. And then you can say if you disagree with any of these. So Lissandra's a keep and start. Varan is a keep and start next season, but maybe not the season after that. Um, Maguire's probably a sell at this point. Lindelof could be a keep. I think there were rumors he wanted to leave to get more playing time, which is probably fine. I don't think he'd be a huge loss, but I think it would be annoying to have to replace that position this summer. Um, and then... Actually, that's pretty much it. I mean, Jones is leaving, so... Yeah, saw that announcement. Oh, and Eric Bailly yeah, is so leaving I think too, for hopefully. me, Yeah, yeah, so... I think for me, this is keep Lisandro. Keep Veron, keep Lindelof if he wants to stay, sell Maguire, sell Bailly, Jones obviously leaving, and then that makes it so that you need another guy. How about Tuan Zebe? Probably sell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of turnover at that position, <laughs> to be honest with you. It is, um, but not from the players who've been playing a lot of minutes. So. Yeah. True. Maguire's played a, a reasonable amount. The rest have not played at all. Still, but like, if you only have three senior center backs, that is, like, that doesn't fly. Like, you definitely need somebody coming in if it plays out the way we're describing it. If Lindelof and Maguire both go, you definitely need to sign someone. Um, I, I'd say probably you sign one. But I don't think it's likely that they both leave, to be honest. So, yeah. And then Mengi. That's the other one. Mengi's really young. I wouldn't... Yeah. He has time. So... Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. So probably loan. Okay, left back. Uh, we've got four relevant players here. Um, no, oh, you want to start? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Shaw's great. I'd have Shaw as the starting left back next season. Malasia's had a little bit of a mixed bag, but overall, I think he's been pretty good. So I'd have Malasia as the second choice left back next season. I think the other two are going to be Alvaro Fernandez and Alex Tellez. Tellez is a seven. Oh, I didn't even think of Tellez. I was thinking of Brandon Williams. So actually, there's five relevant <laughs> players here. That's why I started laughing. Um, I don't think Brandon Williams is coming back. I don't think Alvaro Fernandez is coming back yet. I wouldn't bring Tellez back at all. Yeah, I think Shaw keep, Malasia keep. Williams probably sell. Tillis definitely sell. Alvaro Fernandez, I think, actually might be coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the squad next season. He was very good in the championship this season. I think his loan was probably the second most successful of all of our loans. Yeah, I would be... I, I, what's the next step? Do you send him back to the championship? Do you send him a, like to Liga? Yeah, he's in that weird spot because you don't really like loaning players to the Premier League. It just generally, there are a lot of issues with it. There's a lot of managerial turnover. There's a lot of pressure. In, in, and pressure in the sense of like pressure on Premier League coaches um, that can lead to unfavorable treatment of inexperienced players. Um, so yeah, I don't really think you send him to the... So I, I kind of get your point, but I just don't think it's... I feel like there's like a middle window of age where it's reasonable to to keep squad players in that age range. They're unlikely to get a ton better, but they're unlikely to, um, in some cases, unlikely to want to leave, particularly to play minutes. Um, but yeah, Fernandez is so young that like to keep him to play five games next season doesn't really make any sense, in my opinion. I think it might be more than five matches, though, if you don't bring in a center back. Because That's Shaw's true. Probably if Lindelof and Maguire both back. go, maybe you bring one, keep both, Shaw plays a lot of center back. But I think I think the team's better when Shaw plays left back. I agree. So. I think I'd rather have Shaw playing predominantly left back. Yeah, so I think you basically have two options. You keep Fernandez um, for next season. You have him play left back, and you have Shaw play a lot of left center back with Malasia, the starter at left back. I don't think that's a good plan. The other is, I think you loan Fernandez to, to La Liga. Um, he's a native Spanish speaker. Uh, it, it's a competitive league. I'm sure there would be demand for his skill set there. I I think he's likely to get. I think you could you could loan him even to like a, an upper half team in La Liga, and he's a good enough player for for those sides. So, I think that's probably the avenue I would go down if I were in charge. But again, we don't really we have no idea what the circumstances. Maybe he goes back to Preston North End. I think that's where he's on loan. Um, you never know. So yeah. We're sort of assembling here an informal transfer list as we go. Um, goalkeeper, right back, le- uh, a left center back probably, or a right center back, do you think? I guess it depends on whether Lindelof goes. I also think it's relatively unlikely to happen. I mean, it depends on the player. I don't think it... If, if all of those exits happen, I don't think it's unlikely at all. That's true. No, that's fair. I Like I said, I think it's unlikely all the exits happen. I think... Yeah. Which is the reason why I don't think a center back comes in. But if the exits happen, you're right. Um, sorry, I'm just thinking. So, firstly, I think we should do a lone watch episode one week because we've said a lot about Alvaro Fernandez, and pretty much none of it pertains to his footballing ability. It's more about what's already in the squad and whether there's room for him to come in. Um, 
secondly, I just realized we forgot Dean Henderson. So, <laughs> um, I honestly wouldn't be that upset if Dean Henderson was United starting goalkeeper next season. That seems like a pretty hot take. I'd like United to sign a goalkeeper, but if they're not going to, I think Dean Henderson is the best option available. I agree. I think in the scheme of positions where you could compromise, that would be the compromise that would upset me the least. Um, that said, he did say some pretty questionable stuff, I think, last last year. Aaron's like shrugging and making a weird face. Like, I, 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 on the one hand, I can see how you could read those comments and be like, yeah, fair enough, man. You probably were mistreated a little bit. But on the other hand, I didn't, I didn't like the, the attitude that he came to it with. Uh, that, 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 that didn't seem like a positive outlook. I'm not sure that's something you want to reintroduce to the squad, but again. I don't disagree. I guess it's just, I've seen players say and do way more egregious things and then come back into the team, True. especially under new management. So True. I think the thing is, you de- like De Gea has to leave if you're going to bring Henderson back because those comments were basically Henderson saying, yeah, De Gea is bad and I should, I'm better than him and I should have been playing over him. I, I happen to agree, but it doesn't mean it makes it, it <laughs> no, you're right. make the you're interpersonal right. relation easier or better. Um, you're, no, you're right. You're right for sure. I think I think with that, we can put the lid on goalkeeper in defense. Um, De Gea, all the goalkeepers are not part of the future, but De Gea is the sell. Henderson is a maybe. Fullbacks would sell Wambasaka and bring in a new fullback. Center backs, a new arrival only if both Maguire and Lindelof leave. Lindelof up to choice. And left back um would be Sean Malasia and then depending on what happens you could bring in Fernandez but it's doubtful um one quick thing if you are to sign a right center back in the event that both Lindelof and Maguire leave do you sign one to replace Varane or do you just sign a backup say that say that again sorry so Maguire and Lindelof both leave Varane's your only right center back. Do you sign a center back with the aim of replacing Varane, or do you just go for a backup? I think you sign a center back with the aim of long-term replacing Varane. Like, I don't think you're looking to sign somebody who's just going to bench Varane next season. Like, I think that's missing the forest for the trees, right? So not like Kim um, and Jay, for example. No, I don't think that would make sense. And I don't really buy that he's a, a top target for United, to be completely honest with you. I think what you're looking for is somebody who's more of an understudy, but has a different set of skills. Somebody who's, you know, more press resistant, more comfortable on the ball in midfield spaces. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the real concern. And that, that's not to say that Kim Min Jae isn't those things. I just mean, I am highly doubtful that United are looking to dump a ton of money on a starting right center back this summer. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I think players in the, sort of list that we've seen are like Urian Timber, um, Jean-Claire Tadebo, Antonio Silva. I haven't watched a ton of these players, but those are the ones that you're seeing like vague links to that I think would be the right sort of fit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, okay. we, we can go in, we can talk transfers another episode. This yeah. is just sort of compiling a, a, a no, transfer, I was just interested. A, a list yeah. of priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, let's move on to the midfield. Yeah. Casemiro, I think, is a starter. Um, Fernandez is a starter. 
That leaves you with one more starting slot. I think Erickson stays in a squad rotation role. I think Fred stays in a squad yeah. rotation role. Um, and then I think you sign another midfielder, and that completes your like core midfield options. I think McTominay is likely to stay and not play that much, roughly similar to now. Yeah, this is how I would. This is how I have it. Casemiro stay start obviously. Bruno stay start obviously. McTominay, McTominay, uh, probably stay, rarely play. Erickson is your fourth midfielder, I think. Rotates in a lot, starts a lot of matches, but not, not necessarily every match. Fred, I could go either way. I, you could convince me that you let him go, um, but I think you probably keep him just for depth reasons. I think Van de Beek, you're likely to not get any offers you keep and then play. McTominay, I'm I'm skeptical that the offers that are being rumored are real. So you're likely to keep him and not really play him that much, except in select scenarios. Yeah. And then, so what's left is Zidane Iqbal, keep, uh, or maybe you loan. I, I, I think probably loan, actually. And then Mainu, who hopefully you can get some minutes for him next season. I think that's definitely a keep. He's too young and to loan. Then, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's too young to loan. He'll be 19. Um, Wait, he's born 2005. So he'll yeah, be 19 he'll be ni- next season. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's too young to loan, but I, I think... I, I he's think a bit he, on the younger side, he, for sure. I don't think... He, I think he's a player who could potentially avoid a loan altogether. I think he's a player who could ultimately just be a starter for... Like, be a rotation piece for United straight off the bat when he is ready to start playing senior football. Yeah, so um, I mean, I think that's the main case for selling McTominay as well, is you can just turn a profit on McTominay and then bring in a player who's more valuable. I do think you have a little bit of a mess in the situation where Casemiro is unavailable, but I think you, yeah. I think it's worth working with that for for the time being. Yeah, and then you have Sabitzer, who I think you just let leave. He's not, yeah, he's not going back. Expire. And then you have Hannibal. I don't really know what you do with Hannibal. I'm... I feel like we're at a point with him where it's like he either has to break in this summer on tour or you probably let him go. Yeah, he's actually younger than I thought, but... He's, he's not old. He's not too old. It's just he's clearly not going to be... He's, he's clearly not going to be a starter for this team. So the question then becomes, okay, where does he fit in as a rotational piece? And is he worth more to us as, a rota- as trying to develop him develop him into a rotational piece or selling him now. And I think that's a question we can't really answer. I'll I'll say this much. I haven't gone back and watched how he's been, how he's done on loan this season, but from what I know from people I've spoken to, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, And so without really knowing exactly what level he's at as a player, I would say this is, this is going to be up to the coaching staff and whether deciding whether he's ready. Cause I don't think another loan makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to be hugely educated on Hannibal's loan, but as a player, I think he's in that interesting niche of, like, the thing he's good at is a thing United are bad at, but I'm not convinced he's good at that much else. Um, And so it becomes really difficult to figure it out. I think with United in the Champions League, it's just relatively Say what that thing is. Oh, uh, press resistance, ball carrying, especially dribbling from deep. I think he's pretty secure. Um, I don't... I think that's a really hard skill to scale to Premier League level. Um, so I think he's likely to have hiccups. I don't think he offers a ton outside that. I don't think he's an extremely strong at a possession player. 
I don't think he's a particularly strong creative player. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. He played a lot of 10 and left wing. Left wing less so, but a lot of 10 when he was in the youth teams. And I think a lot of people have this idea of him as a highly creative player. I am not convinced that is, that is what he is. And I remember... Yeah. I went back and watched a lot of of his his time with the youth sides at, at United. And the conclusion I came to is that he's probably an eight. Uh, somebody who you use sort of in a... I think the the goal for him would be something like a Kovacic, where, you know, really high-end ball progressor on the dribble, high output defensively, not necessarily high quality defensively. Um, but I'm not sure he's actually going to get there out of possession. And then you just kind of have a guy who carries the ball. And I, his passing isn't at Kovacic's level. or Kovacic is it. also super press resistant. Like, he's like top yeah. five yeah, at the thing. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure Hannibal is even that good at this particular thing. No, he's certainly not at this point in his career. But I mean, this is like the, the player who you're hoping he becomes. And, yeah. and I don't really, I'm not confident he winds up being that player anymore. Um, so yeah, I think that's it on, on Hannibal. Am, am I forgetting anybody? Do we have any other midfielders on loan? Um, I feel like we have one. Charlie Savage. Ethan Galbraith is leaving. I don't think either. I don't think Savage comes into the first team um, reasonably. He's also extremely young. So, yeah. So that's probably another loan. Um, okay. Yeah. Moving forward, what do we have here? Okay. Let's start with the right wing, I think. Um, okay. We'll start with Anthony. I think he keep and start. Um, Ahmad is sort of like an option in the midfield, but also an option at right wing. There's some debate as to where his best position is, but I, I'm going to include him here because I think he's more likely to be able to understudy Anthony than Bruno. Interesting. I, I'll i be complete. Like I, when you say understudy, you mean be his rotation piece, right? Not like actually learn his game from him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have some reasons for saying that. I mean, I think, I yeah, think, I, I, I think for me, I'd rather see a mod play attacking midfield minutes. Um, okay, I mean, I I just find it unlikely that Bruno doesn't play fifty plus matches. So you might get yeah. him there sometimes, <laughs> but the reason, the main reason why I say this is just because I think you're likely to get him more minutes at right wing, and I think that's probably yeah. fine, especially if you get a player like Frimpong. I think that's fine. Yeah, I think the the other thing is there's clearly a willingness to play Bruno as like an eight in this setup and add somebody else who's not necessarily playing deeper than him. So I could see a situation where you play Bruno with a mod in midfield. I don't think that's okay. like outrageous. Okay. It maybe one maybe a couple times, but I think by and large it's unlikely. Yeah, but I mean what do you think I don't think Ahmad starts more than 20 matches next season either way. So if you give him five midfield starts next to Bruno and five without Bruno and then five Bruno, right wing, I think that's probably yeah. I think that's probably good. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean even if you look at his minutes now, he's played about 30-90s this season because United are just in more competitions than these teams. They play 60 games a season. If you give him 15-90s from starts and then 15 or ten or like five to ten nineties even from, from substitute subs. appearances. Yeah. It's pretty close. Um that's that's how much you need these young players to be playing for them to be like 
for it to be worth them staying, I think. Um, yeah. It's roughly around Which there. Which brings us to uh, another <laughs> relevant right winger is Polistri. What do you do there? I think Ahmad and Anthony are better. So, and I, and I think also there's this, like, at least currently, a very specific um, need for Anthony's value in possession and build up his ability to keep the ball in difficult situations. I think Ahmad is pretty good at that. And I think the left footedness also helps him a little bit in that mold. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why Polistri hasn't been playing that much this season for people who, who have kind of been clamoring for him to get minutes. The other reason is I'm I'm not convinced he's particularly good, really. Um I I don't I don't think he's bad. I think he has a future at either the Premier League or Championship level, but he kind of is reliant on doing the same couple of things. Um in a way that even Anthony isn't. Yeah, I would I think Polistri would be dominant at the championship level, but I think he's kind of a one trick pony at the the Premier League level, to be honest. Um, yeah, I would probably sell, but I, I could see a world where you keep him just to have a different look. But he's he if you had like a you know a twenty eight man squad, he's like the twenty seventh to twenty eighth man. Uh, which I mean, how valuable is that really? Not that valuable. Uh, so I think that covers right wing. Um, wh- wh- what direction do you want to go in from here? Left wing. I can go to left wing. Yeah, I mean Rashford's the starter. I think. Garnacho is currently the best backup, which puts Sancho in an odd place. Yeah. I mean, I think for the right price, I'd sell. I don't think you get the right price. And I don't think it's completely over. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a starter, but it, it's not looking great. So I think you just keep him in the rotation, keep playing him. And at, at like another after another season, it's definitely over if he's not playing better than he is now. Yeah, transfer market has his value at 55 million euros. I think if you got a 55 million euro offer for him, you would take it. Uh, I don't think you do. I don't think you get you don't. 55 yeah, million Yeah, you don't euros. get a 55 million euro offer for him. So, I mean, that point is moot. I, yeah, I think he probably stays. I have no idea what his role winds up looking like. I think Garnacho is clearly the more impactful player now. Though he's obviously benefiting from substitute appearances. And we've seen Sancho come on as a substitute and be far more effective than he is as a starter. So, uh, tough to make all things equal. But Garnacho is five years younger, and I think probably the better player, which, I don't know, that's not great. Um, just, just a general point on selling players like this, because I think a lot of people are like, ah, sell Sancho, I'm done. Here's the issue. When United unearth an academy player, like Garnacho, for example, United should not sell Garnacho, just to be clear. But let's say they were going to sell Garnacho. It's really easy, because he's not... I mean, he just signed a new contract, so he might be. But before that, he's not on the crazy wages... Um, he's not, uh, an established first teamer such that the other, the other clubs going for him are, are going to be paying an outlandish fee for him. Because right now, I think what we're beginning to see is a lot of clubs outside the Premier League just can't afford to do that. Um, and you don't really want to sell these kind of players within the Premier League that often, um because if they're that would good, make me very nervous <laughs> like selling sancho to like spurs is probably a bad idea um and so you're just when you have these players who are on high wages high fees and you're looking for a club to recoup your fee but you play in the league with all of the clubs that have money you're in this really weird spot where you're either trying to convince real madrid barcelona Bayern munich or psg to pay a ton of money for him or you're not selling him so it becomes really tough unless the player is really good to sell them. And I think 
once you get down to the value that they're willing to pay, I think Sancho is worth more than that to United. At even even in, even his current self, which might be crazy to say because he's playing quite poorly, but yeah. So basically, I think you give him another year to try and rescue it because he has no remote value compared to what he was signed for at this point. But you might find that even a couple of goals or assists can bring his value up a lot. He's still really young, so yeah. I think that's what you go for here. Yeah. Uh, one thing you, you said Rashford starter on left wing. I think some people have been speculating that they that you know oh maybe you play him as a center forward next season. You don't buy a center forward. What do you think about that? It's a no for me. I think if you end up in a scenario where you only have one striker, you get him there a couple times a season. It's fine. Rashford's not a striker. I think we've spent too much of Rashford's career trying to make him something he's not. Rashford is a winger who is really good at running behind. This season, he's become good at a lot of the, I think, secondary movement aspects of being uh, a secondary striker against settled defenses, things like hitting the back post on crossing situations from the opposite side. Um, I think his output is good for a winger. I don't think it's good for a striker. I think it's, like, decent. Um, Yeah, Rashford's not a striker. Um I think the most substantive arguments for Rashford playing up front are that he's poor out of possession and it's less problematic when he plays up front than on the left. But I just think that it's easy to get lost in the details of that and think that that is more important than what he offers with the ball when United have the ball. And on that side, it's just way, way more valuable to have him at left wing than at striker. And so that's why I'd keep him there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think clearly he's better at left wing than he is at striker. He's he doesn't offer the things that we've been you know going on and on and on about about United needing from their striker. Not a striker for me. I, yeah, I think that's easy to dismiss. Yeah, um, um, up front I'm on sell all. So if we're yeah, gonna finish it me off too. There. Yep, <laughs> gone, gone, go. Like let, yeah, yeah. I. I I think so, United probably need two strikers this summer. I'd, um, I'd sign Turam on a free, and then I'd sign a big money striker. That's my solution to it. I'd be okay with one striker, and Rashford plays up front a little bit if that one striker is really, really good. But if that one striker gets hurt, you're like in a worse situation than you are right now. I, I think you need two. Unless you think McNeil is ready to contribute. Um, I, which... I have no idea. He's on my watch list, but I have no idea. I think I'm fine with... I think Rashford up front with Garnacho, Anthony wide, and Bruno behind is a better scenario than what United have now, um, which is Garnacho and Anthony wide or, or Sancho, and then Bruno behind Martial. I think it's it, it's better if you remove Martial and put Rashford. So if you're going to sign one striker who's really, really good, I'm willing to take that risk. But yeah, I would like two strikers. I would like, you know... Like I said, I think Taram is like an easy one where he's free. There might be some issues there, but I think overall he's ready to come in and play minutes. I think he's better than Weghorst and Martial. I think it's a no-brainer. Um, you sign him on non-crazy wages, and then he has sell-on value, hopefully. Sorry, if you heard a bumpy noise there, because I don't think we're going to be able to edit that out. It's because I knocked my water bottle. Um, and then... Yeah, and then you sign a big money striker. I mean, it seems like uh, it seems like Asimen is increasingly less viable. So, 
I'd still I'd still want to see it, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. And I think there are there are other reasonable options. We discussed this a lot last week. So either way, I'd sell both strikers right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I think yeah. But I think you really do need two strikers, in my opinion. But we don't need to rehash that again. Um, Alanga is the only player we haven't hit yet. Hey, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him get some minutes. I, I still think Alanga is pretty good. I think if you're looking at the like scope of young United players, he's behind Anthony and behind Garnacho, probably ahead of Palistri. Um, yeah. And I think he's behind Ahmad. So. Yeah. I don't think that I, I think what you have left is like a good squad player for a team like this. Um, you know, if I'm thinking of the role, it's like something like what Dan James would ideally do, but he's just way better than Dan James. So, I mean, I don't hate it, but I just don't see where the minutes come from. So I would be open to selling him too. Yeah, I think I agree. I, think I, agree. I mean, if he hasn't if he hasn't gotten in at nine this season, when like it's been dire, I think that's a sign that he's not going to get in at nine next season. And I think Ten Hag does see him as a striker, so yeah, I'm probably I'm probably towards selling. Yep. Okay, so that that's the whole squad, I think. Unless I'm forgetting somebody who's on. Yeah, the we'll we'll do a quick rerun of that. So it was at goalkeeper. You're gonna sell De Gea and possibly keep Henderson. Right back, you're gonna sell Wambasaka. Sign a new right back. So it's two signings already. Center back, you're only going to sign if Lindelof leaves, but you ideally sell Maguire, Jones, Bailly, and keep the others. Um, left back, you got Shaw and Malasia, possibly but unlikely Fernandez. Midfield, you got Casemiro, Erickson as a backup, Fred as possibly a backup, McTominay as possibly a backup, Van de Beek as possibly a backup, Bruno in a new signing. And then up front, you have on the right, Ahmad and Anthony, Anthony's first choice. On the left, Rashford, Garnacho. Possibly Sancho. I think Sancho and Ahmad might also see minutes at 10 here and there. Um, and then up front, you have two new strikers. That's like the ideal. Which is quite yeah. a few signings, which is where it's I'm kind of like, I'm not sure on that. Um, I think United need three signings to get very good really quickly, which is a striker, center mid, goalkeeper. And there are some compromises that can be made on the others, but ideally you sign the six that we said. I think we said six. six. Sheesh, man. Six is a lot. Last six summer was lot. what, Five. Yeah, if you include Dubrovka. Or was it five without Dubrovka? Is Lissandro, Malasia, Erickson, Erickson, Anthony, and Casemiro. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I think if you raid the free market, you can do it. I'd sign, like, the three important players at a really high level and then try and go on the, like, unproven young cheap side for the other three. Yeah. Um, Or the free and good but not amazing, like Taram types or like Sabios, Telemans type players. Although again, you'd you might want two midfielders. So anyway, maybe this is more doom and gloom than we wanted it to be, but I feel like <laughs> we've we've been pretty in depth here and we've been here for like half an hour, so we should we should move to the next segment. We should take a quick break and then move to the next segment. Yeah. All right, transfer talk. Some new players coming in uh, to the rumor mill this week, or at least to our minds. 
Um, Dave Heal asks, Sommer apparently leaving Bayern in the summer. Should United bring him in as a cheap, short-term solution for a couple of seasons? Or to put it another way, should they try 500 days of summer? Um, see, I mean, I would have liked the 104 days of summer vacation, but, you know, it's fine. It's a generational uh, gap, I think. <laughs> um, I'd like summer, but I think it's unlikely. Yeah, I, I mean, I like summer a lot. I think he's uh, better on the ball than all of United's goalkeepers, including Henderson. I'm not sure he's a better all-around goalkeeper than Henderson, but again, this is the whole, is it worth reintegrating Henderson into the side? Uh, if this happened, I wouldn't be upset, but he rejected United in the in January, so I'm not convinced it's even something he that's on his radar. And I think he's also had made some pretty big mistakes for Bayern, so worth keeping in mind. Um, we also got another question from Rahul Ramdas, whose question was, having seen the demolition job City did on Real Madrid, do we have any hope for the FA Cup final? Also, thoughts on Rabiot on a free? Um, Wait, so going back to I, Summer, first of all, I, okay, sorry, sorry just... I, I think he knew what he was doing when he joined Bayern at 34. He was going to take the starting role for a bit, come in whenever Neuer gets injured, which has been increasingly frequently the last few seasons, and that was that. I, think he, I mean, Neuer was already hurt when they signed him. Neuer was out for the season. I know, but yeah, came. Neuer's had this like period of injuries every year. I think I, I think Sommer knew what he was doing. He's looking to take like a reduced role at a big club, win some trophies, close out his career. I don't really think he's looking to play 60 games a season in the Premier League. But that's just my suspicion. Um, all right. Do we have any hope for the FA Cup final? Uh, excuse me. Do we have any hope for the FA Cup final? Not really. But hey, I mean, no, weird things I think happen. we absolutely do. I think we absolutely do. <laughs> I think we absolutely do. I mean, we I have to. Know, but I, I know, we beat them the last time we played them. <laughs> like what? We can hope for the same thing to happen. But I think they're playing better than they were back then. So. I think so too, and I think we're playing worse. But that doesn't mean we can't. Like it's a one. No, it's game. not a can't. It's not a can't. It's yeah. like firmly like twenty to twenty five percent chance of winning here at least. And I think it's higher than that. But yeah. But like that's still small. So yeah. I mean, it would be nice to win. It's still a good season. If not, I think there's likely going to be a meltdown if United don't win this. It might include a city yeah. treble, but all that needs to be is a lesson of like, here's what happens when you do nothing for five years and let your rivals build a super team. This is what happens to you. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, that's true even if United win the final. So just don't, just let's just not have like a meltdown if United lose this and hope that they win it. Um, as for Rabio, I do not want Rabio on a free. I think there are better options on a free. Um, I think this is like one of the most dire things. This and like Arnautovich last summer. Why? What is why? I I get that Rabio kind of has the skill set we've talked about, where he's kind of he's pretty press resistant. He does nothing else though, and he's just sort of like a sort of he's a side passer. He's not particularly effective in the final third. He isn't particularly incisive. He's just a big. Yeah, he's body. one of these like box to box guys who just like does some stuff. And that's not what United need. United need a specialist to come into midfield. So this is a no for me. Like, United don't need playmakers. They don't need goal scorers. They don't need ball winners. They need a dude who can get the ball from one side of the pitch to the other a lot, reliably, securely. There's also, like, there's also, like, the, the circus that comes with his entourage, which I have no idea why you would introduce that to the squad when the first half of the season we spent on a circus. Like, I don't know why, what would incentivize you to want to do that? I don't know. 
Um, it upsets me that this is this is even in the rumor mill. I don't understand what the incentive is here. Um, I think that covers that. All right, awesome. Aaron, uh, speak to you next week. Hopefully, with one more point in the bag, at least. Yeah, we have to secure top four. If we don't get a point from Fulham and Chelsea, I will be, I will throw a tantrum on this podcast. I think I've been kind of cruising for a bruising with my Twitter Lampard activity, but just please don't lose to Chelsea, man. Come on, please. Both of these matches are at home too, so. You really have to get it done. Also, like, you can't like lose at home to Chelsea and Fulham. <laughs> to make it even, to make it even worse, like their seasons are over. They have nothing to play for. They're on the beach. They're so on the beach. They're like the Premier League leaders for on the beach. Fulham are tenth. Chelsea are twelfth. They could lose each of these each of these games like fifteen nil, and it would not matter at all. So, yeah, the, come on, win. please, please, simply win. Or simply do not lose. Just don't lose. Just just don't lose to Chelsea and get at least one point, and then you can you can do whatever you want. Play some kids in the final game. Yeah. Oh, actually, does fourth still have to play that qualifier for Champions League? Maybe you want to try for third, but I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's call it a week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. See you next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.